It is so good to be here with you in a completely different room again. Every time I come, you're someplace else. Make up your mind, will you? I commend you because I've seen over the years oh, how God has used this campus. And yeah, you may not be as big as West, and you may not have some of the resources, but I've met some of you and some others who discovered Jesus because of you and where you're at. And it's a lot harder to be in different locations, and it takes more work to set up and that kinds of stuff. So I really commend you, and you remember, for those of you who are at the conference, you know, the so that, you know, we, we put this together so that, we move so that, and God is doing that, so I commend you for that. And I want to kind of put an exclamation point on New Zealand and beyond by talking to you individually about God's design for how your life will flourish. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, you know, without people, without a vision, people perish. And we oftentimes interpret that in terms of the purpose of my life. If I have a purpose for my life, if I have a vision for my life, and that's true, but there's another way to define it, and it's not around pe purpose, it's around people. If I have the right people in my life, my life will flourish. And the Bible gives us a pattern from Jesus himself of the kind of people he put in his life that caused those relationships and the life to flourish. He said, I've come to give life and that more abundantly. And that happens through the relationships we have. And I want to share with you three relationships that you need to have in your life. My guess is for most of us in here, we have one or two of them. But my guess is for many of us in here, we may be missing one of them. And when we're missing that relationship, we're actually missing out on something from God. And we're going to learn about these three relationships through the model of Jesus that he gives to us that's really important. You know, Jesus loved church. He loved his campus. Luke 4 says on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He was at his campus every week because he knew great things happened through his campus. But he also knew that being at campus once a week was not enough that he needed to have relationships. So there's a story in the New Testament that gives us a pattern for this that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 26. It'll be on the screen, so you can look at it in your Bibles or your phones if you want. Listen to this story and the pattern he gives us. Uh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watching me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. All right, picture this story. Here's Jesus and he takes his 12 disciples and he says, Listen, come with me. I'm in a relationship with you. That's one of the kinds of relationships we need to have. And what's unique about it, when you look at the 12 disciples, they were all very different. We know we need friends in our life, but one of the things that God's going to teach us this morning is some of our friends need to be different than we are. Because if everybody's like me, I actually miss out on discovering Jesus. So he's got these 12 who are very different than he is in many ways. But then he goes farther up the mountain, and he takes three with him, James and John and Peter. And he says this to them, my soul is full of anguish to the point of death. Do you know what he's saying? Guys, this is really hard for me. He's looking for something from them, but he gets nothing. These were three guys who had all kinds of problems. 
two brothers were always arguing over who's going to be greatest. Peter, a few hours later, would betray him. So Jesus opens his heart to them, but he really doesn't get anything from them. They can't even pray for an hour. And yet, these guys are really, they're broken. And yet, even though they're broken and even though they can't give him anything, he welcomes them into his life. So I have a relationship with people who are different from me, and then I need a relationship with people who are broken. I won't get anything from them. It looks like I won't benefit. If anything, they'll take something from me. But that relationship becomes really important, a relationship with broken people. Then he goes by himself farther up the mountain. And he comes to the Father and he says, listen, if there's any way, and then he adds this phrase, not my will but your will. And the son understood that he also needed a relationship with someone who was in authority over him. And we have this pattern given to us about three relationships we need. You need a relationship with people who are different from you. You need a relationship with people who are broken. And you need a relationship with somebody who has an authority to speak into your life. Now let's look at each of these three kinds of relationships to understand them better. First of all, you need a relationship with people who are different from you. When you look at the 12 that Jesus picked, one of the things you discover is that they were not the same kind of people. He picks a guy named Simon the Zealot. Zealots were terrorists. As a group of uh, Jewish people, these guys got together, and zealot meant that they wanted to kill Roman people. Let's just destroy Rome. That's how we'll respond to Roman's occupation. They were terrorists. These were revolutionaries. These were tough guys who hated Rome. Jesus picks one of them for his friends. Then he picks a guy named Matthew, the tax collector. Tax collectors were the opposite of the zealots. They were in the pocket of Rome. They were in partnership with Rome to take taxes away from Jewish people. So Jesus picks a revolutionary who wants to kill Rome, and he picks a tax collector who's in the pocket of Rome, and he says, I want you all in my life. And when we travel, the two of you are going to bunk together. <laughs> What's he teaching? If you're going to have a life that flourishes, you have to have friends. We know that. But some of your friends have got to be different from you. Because if all of your friends are just like you are, you actually miss out on another side of Jesus and a revelation of who he is in your life. You discover Jesus through the diversity, through the gifting that is different. I told the morning service at uh, West Auckland, I said, Tuck and I are about as different as you can get. We're just, I hate hype. He lives for hype, you know? <laughs> We're so different. But every time I'm around him, I discover another side of Jesus that I can't tap into on my own. The Bible teaches one really important way of diversity is generationally. That when I am around people who are of a different age than I am, I discover another side of Jesus that otherwise I wouldn't discover. I was hanging out with a couple of young guys and I was trying to encourage them in this. They were in their early 20s and I said, listen guys, find some older guys that you can hang out with, glean some other wisdom. And, and they did. So they'd get to together for coffee, these four. The two guys were in their 70s, I think, and these guys were in their 20s. And then I said, you know, why don't you go to their service? Because the church that they went to was a big church, and they had multiple services, and they had a traditional service early Sunday morning for more older people. So they sang hymns and things like that. Sunday night was the young adult service, and that's when it was really raging and things like that. Pretty common. I said, go to the early morning service. So these two young guys went to the early morning service, and I went along just to see what would happen. And the four of them are sitting there, and of course they start the service, and it's really kind of subdued, and they start with a hymn, you know, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I could see on the faces of these young guys, they're going, jeez, when is the real music going to kick in? When's this place really going to start to 
And then something amazing happened. The two older gentlemen stood up during this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. They lifted their hands to heaven and tears began to come down their face. Because when you have lived on this planet for 70 years, you've experienced the faithfulness of God in so many different ways. When you've lived on this planet for 20 years, you just haven't had the time to experience as much of the faithfulness of God. And these two young guys who were sitting there looked at these two older gentlemen and they got it. They caught it. And then they stood up and they began to lift their hands with an expectation of the faithfulness that they would discover through the years. That's why you need somebody in your life who is different from you. The Bible says one part of the body cannot say to the other part of the body, I don't really need you. As awkward as it may be to embrace a relationship and a friendship that's somebody who is different. Because I like hanging out with people who think the way I think, who agree with me. I think that's really cool when I hang out with people who are just like I am. It's easy. When I hang out with somebody who's a little different, there's an awkwardness sometimes in there. And so I hesitate from that kind of a relationship because it's sometimes not as quite comfortable. The Bible says, no, one part of the body cannot say to the other part of the body, I don't need you. You are here this morning and you may say, wow, I need a new revelation of Jesus in my life. That person may be sitting one row in front of you. But you just don't pay attention to them because they're different. But the Bible teaches it's through different people that we get a new revelation of Jesus in our life. And that's the value of Church Unlimited. Even here this morning, I look around and I see different shades of colors and different ages and different sizes of people. Tap into that. We need a relationship with somebody who's different. But we also need a relationship with somebody who's broken. Jesus sees these broken people, and they don't have anything to offer him except pain. And yet he invites them into his life. They were broken, and yet he makes them a part of a relationship with him. Ecclesiastes teaches us about this in chapter 4. Listen to what it says. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three stands is not quickly broken. We oftentimes look at this passage in terms of unity in the body of Christ, but listen to the description of the person who needs somebody. They fall down and they cannot get up on their own. They're laying alone and they're cold. They're under attack and they are powerless and on their own they cannot defend themselves from the attack. We learned over the last three days during this amazing New Zealand and beyond that our worlds are full of broken people and this describes them. They have fallen down and they can't get up. They're laying alone and they are cold. They're under attack. They may not even know it but they are defenseless. And Jesus' model said, you have to have a relationship with these broken people. And on the surface, it looks like they have nothing to offer you but pain. But when you have a relationship with them, you're going to discover something really amazing. Let's take a look at this. First, they fall down. They cannot get up on their own. They need some help. Do you remember when Jesus was about ready to go to the cross and they met in the upper room? 
And they come into the upper room, Jesus and the disciples, but somebody is missing. Normally, in that situation, there would be a servant at the doorway because you walked with your sandals on the dusty roads, and when you came into a room to eat, the servant would be there with a basin, and he would wash everybody's feet as they came in. But in this instance, the servant is not there. And the disciples come in, and they're already grumbling. Where's the servant? Look at the dust on our feet. And the grumbling turns into this kind of a conversation. Wow, who do you think which one of us will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is at his most intense point. He knows what he's getting ready to do. And these people all around him, they're broken. They've fallen down. And they're just talking with pride. Which one will us be greatest? And here's what Jesus does. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't even talk to them about how wrong they are. He takes a basin and he begins to wash their feet. He begins to serve them. Think of whose feet he washed. He washed Peter's feet, who was always arguing against him, who always had a better idea, who was always getting under his skin. Do you have somebody like that in your life? They're just always an irritant to you? Their calling in life is to get under your skin, and they do it so well. And I'm not talking about your children, other people. Jesus washes his feet. He washes the feet of James and John, two brothers who were so broken, so fallen down, that they even tried to get their mom to influence Jesus about their positions in this new kingdom. These are broken people. He washes the feet of Judas, somebody who would betray him. You ever had somebody betray you, speak against you in a way you never imagined they ever would? Ecclesiastes says, listen, there are people and they've fallen down. They're broken. Do not think that they will change without somebody in their life who can lift them up. The Bible says in Romans 15:1, we who are stronger need to bear with the failings of the weaker and not just take care of ourselves. And this gives us an insight into what we discover and why this relationship is so important even for us because you are much stronger than you think you are. You actually have the Spirit of God in you, in a phenomenal way. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, but you only discover that power when you reach out in a relationship with a broken person and let it flow through you. Then you discover, wow, I'm stronger than I ever, I ever thought that I was. These people, they lay alone, and they have nobody to keep them warm and join them. If I was God, I would have saved humanity much different than he did. It's one of the many reasons why I'm not God. My wife has created a website. It's entitled joelhomeisnotgod.com. She has an ongoing list that she adds to it every week. But if I was God, here's how I would have saved the world. From heaven in my perfection, in my glory, in my purity, I would have reached down to the world. Only touching the world with my fingertips, only staining my fingertips, I would have reached down to the world and I would have lifted it up and I would have gone, you are holy. I'm God, I can do whatever I want. It's one of the perks of the job. That's how I would have done it. God didn't do it that way. He joined me fully and completely. He took on all of my sin and all of my stain, not just his fingerprints. When I was laying alone and cold, he came down and laid with me. And he joined me. He says, listen, you are designed to have a relationship with broken people. And when you do that, 
it's going to be hard. And there will be hardship. God, coming from heaven to earth and taking on human form, hard. When you open your life up to your neighbors who are going through a divorce, there's going to be hardship in your life. When you enter into a relationship with an alcoholic and how they manage life, there's going to be some hardship in your life. My daughter and her husband have become a foster family and they welcome a child who's two years old into their family and they pour their love out to this child. Just 15 months later, that child is removed and your heart just rips in half. It's hard. You've got to realize when I have a relationship with a broken person, there's going to be hardship that comes on me. And sometimes because I know that, I remove myself from a relationship with a broken person. But the Bible says, listen, don't be surprised by the hardship. There's actually something divinely amazing that takes place. 1 Peter 4 says this, don't be surprised that hardship comes. He's not talking about hardship just because of life's troubles. He's actually talking about when you, as a Christ follower, position yourself with broken people. Don't be shocked that hardship comes. But rejoice as you suffer for Christ. For if you face suffering because of Christ, the Spirit of God rests on you. Something divinely supernatural takes place in the discovery of God's presence, but it only takes place not in here. It takes place out there. And it doesn't take place in relationship with other Christians. It takes place in relationships with broken people. So we're not sugarcoating this. When you have a relationship with a broken person, there will be hardship. It will be difficult. Some people may take advantage of you. Some people may betray you. Some people may fight against you, just like the disciples did with Jesus. There will be hardship. But don't let the hardship remove you from that relationship. But know what the word says. No, if I engage with a broken person, there may be some difficulties and some challenges. But I'm going to discover the spirit of God on me like I won't discover in any other place whatsoever. That's when I'll discover it. Because you and I were wired by God with this spiritual appetite. To hunger and thirst after him. But here's what takes place. When we remove ourselves from broken people and surround our life only with those who make our life easier, it actually stops our spiritual appetite from thriving. Uh, first night of the conference, I got back to the hotel room about 9 o'clock at night, and I was hungry. I had a physical appetite because I hadn't eaten. But it was late at night, and it would take time for room service, and I was tired. So I grabbed a candy bar and ate a candy bar. My appetite went away. Really unhealthy thing to do. Not a wise thing to do at all. When we as Christians strive only for ease and comfort and no hardship, and when we get that because we live in a Western world where we can probably get close to that, it's like a candy bar, and it removes our spiritual appetite for God because life is easy. But when I put myself in a relationship with a broken person, and I know, because I got this friend, there's going to be hardship. All of a sudden, that spiritual appetite for God it comes surging out of me because I need God to work in this relationship. And Peter says, rejoice because you will discover how the Spirit of God rests on you. I've got a friend, and every week he goes to this teen center where kids are required to go by the courts. 
They either go to that center or they go to jail. These kids have to be there so they don't care how they behave. And he goes there and these kids just abuse him. They curse at him. They make fun of him for his faith. I said, Robert, how do you deal with that? He said, it's tough at times. He said, but I have such a love for them. And when I am with them, I feel the presence of God in such a powerful way. And I know that over time, it's going to break through to them. It's hard, but he's discovered God in such a powerful way. You have a relationship with somebody who's different. You find another side of Jesus. You have a relationship with somebody who's broken. And you discover how much the Spirit of God rests on you. And then lastly, you have this relationship with somebody who is an authority. Jesus goes farther up the mountain. He's left his friends behind him, and now he's with the Father, and he has this phrase, not my will, but your will be done. Now, we've got to be honest about this. This idea is so countercultural because our culture screams at us, do not let anybody tell you what to do with your life. Do not let anybody do that. And the idea that I will put myself in a relationship with somebody who speaks into my life is seen by society as a great weakness, not a strength at all. But when you buy into society, you're actually buying into a lie, the lie that says you are an authority over your life. And I can prove to you that that's a lie. Either it happened or it's going to happen. Did you take the offering yet? Okay, so you took the offering. Some of you in here wanted to give. And you wanted to give generously. But honestly, you didn't. And the reason why you didn't wasn't because of the desire of your heart. is because there was a fear in your heart. If I give generously, wow, what am I going to do about these bills? Don't think for one moment that you made that decision. The authority that made that decision was the fear that was in your heart. That was the authority. Some of you in here in the last few weeks have been hurt by somebody. And I am really truly sorry for that pain. I know what that pain feels like. And that pain has caused you to say, you know what, I'm removing myself from that relationship. I'll pretend like I've forgiven them because that's what Christians do, but genuinely, I don't want anything to do with that relationship anymore. You are not the one with the authority making that decision. It is the pain in you that has the authority that's making that decision. And Jesus says, listen, don't be fooled by the thought that you have authority that way. Choose carefully and have a relationship with somebody who has authority in your life. Not fear, not pain. Jesus says, Father, you have the authority, and I will follow that. And listen to this carefully, and please know my heart. I'm not talking about having a relationship in your life with somebody who has an opinion that you listen to. No, somebody who has an authority that you follow. Because an opinion that you listen to doesn't position you in the safety and the wisdom of God, but an authority that you follow allows you to make godly decisions and live a flourishing life. We learned at the conference about blind spots that we all have. I'll give you a really good example of this because putting yourself under authority is not some funky, weird thing. When I was pastoring and we were planting the church, our church was probably about this size. 
And we were doing a great job, and things were going well. And one of the guys in our church said, Joel, can we have a cup of coffee this week? And I said, sure. We sat down for a cup of coffee. He said, listen, I need, I need your authority in my life. I said, what do you mean? He said, my wife and I are deciding to buy a house. But we don't know if it's the right decision. Are we spending too much money? He was fairly affluent. Are we spending too much money on this house? Is it too opulent? Will it put us in a dangerous situation? He pulled out the specs of the house. He says, here's what the house costs. Here's what it looks like. He was positioning himself in a place where he was actually saying, I don't just want your opinion about this, Joel. I actually want you to speak into my life. And if I had said, I don't think it's probably that wise, he probably wouldn't have bought the house. But I was so amazed that here was a guy who had the money to buy the house and make a decision, but he knew the value of having a relationship with somebody who wasn't just going to give you their opinion, but actually was going to speak with authority into your life. Because he knew, on our own, we may make the wrong decision. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and that more abundantly. But a lot of the abundant life comes through decision-making you make. And we're naive if we think we have the capacity to make all of life's decisions on our own. So he says, you have to have a relationship with somebody who has a measure of authority. You trust them. They're wise. They've got some good spiritual years on them. And you're not just looking for an opinion. You're actually saying, no, I need somebody who has an authority in my life. And when you do that, God protects you. And the decisions that you make are really wise decisions. You ever made a stupid decision? And you're going, what was I thinking? Chances are every stupid decision you made, and sometimes our stupid decisions have real ramifications. Chances are that decision was made without that relationship. Jesus says, listen, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. But you've got to have these three relationships. You need a relationship with somebody who's different from you. Because as awkward as it might be at the beginning, you're going to discover another side of Christ. Uh, every time I get together with talk, it's awkward. It's like, oh, he wants to talk about another all-night prayer meeting. Uh. <laughs> but wow, I discover something about Jesus because of my friend Todd, who's so different than I am. You need a relationship with a broken person. Somebody who on the surface has nothing to offer you except pain and hardship. Just like us with Jesus. But when you do that, when you lift them up, when you lay down next to them and keep them warm, when you protect them, you will discover the Spirit of God resting on you and the strength in you that you will never discover in here amongst fellow Christians. And you need a relationship with somebody who's not just opinion you value, but who has authority in your life. So here's what I'm going to do to close this. i got to go back and do the second service at West Auckland, but I'm going to pray for you before you leave, before I leave. And I'm going to pray that for most of us, I find that we have two, one or two of these people. For many of us, we're missing one. One of those three. And I'm going to pray that even this week, God will open your eyes and give you the courage to begin to build that relationship in your life. So I want you to bow your heads with me. But as I get ready to pray, just as a sign to God, nobody looking around, eyes closed, 
you're here this morning and you say, Joel, you know what? I don't have a relationship with people who are different than me. Everybody I know, they're all like me. They think the way I think. And whether it's generationally or however, I need to build a relationship with somebody who's different from me to discover another side of Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand just as a kind of a statement to Jesus? Just hold it up. Great. Thank you so much. Great. All right, you can put your head down. Now, some of you in here, again, every head bowed, all eyes closed. You say, honestly, I don't really have a relationship with broken people. Because we're not talking about just, you know, joining some kind of an outreach program. We're talking about you would know a name, and they would know your name. And you say, you know, honestly, I don't have a relationship with that kind of a broken person in my life. Maybe you've shied away from it because of the hardship, but you realize that you need a relationship with a broken person. Would you just lift your hand to the Lord right now if that's you? Great. Thank you so much. Fantastic. All right, you can put your hand down. And lastly, probably the toughest one, you'd say, Joel, there's nobody in my life really that has authority. A few people may have opinions, but nobody really has authority in my life where I realize I've got some blind spots and I need a spiritual leader that I honor and submit to in that sense. It doesn't have to be a pastor. But you say, I don't really have that relationship. Would you lift your hand to Jesus right now, whoever? Just lift it up. Great. All right, you can put your hand down. Lord Jesus, you see these hands that go up. First of all, we thank you. We thank you so much that... Uh, you give us this design for how we can walk and live in an abundant life. We thank you that you choose to have a relationship with us. I pray for those who raised their hand and said they need somebody who's different in their life. I pray that you would give them the courage to walk across the room to somebody who has a different color skin or a different age and to kind of embrace the initial awkwardness Give us an expectation and a hope of how we'll discover a whole other side of you, Jesus, if we will stretch our boundaries and have a friend who is different from us. Lord, I pray for those who raise their hands, who need a relationship with a broken person. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give them a dose of both courage and compassion. That while we do acknowledge that there will be hardship, there will be some hardship when we embrace broken people. We can rejoice because we know through the hardship we're going to discover your spirit resting on us. I pray right now, at this moment, even while I'm speaking, you would put in the minds of those people who raise their hands, put in their minds, Lord, a face or a name, a face from work, a face from their neighborhood right now, those broken people, they're already in our world, but give us their names right now that we would this week begin a relationship with them so that we can be used by you to lift them up, to keep them warm, and to protect them, Lord. Right now, would you give that name, give that face? And Lord, finally, I pray for those who lifted their hands. I appreciate, Lord God, their honesty that there's nobody in their life really that carries that measure of spiritual authority. 
I pray, Lord, that you would bring that person into their life and that you would create in us a humility that we would be so aware that we do not have the capacity or the design to make every significant life decision all on our own. But you have formed us into a body. I thank you for spiritual leaders, Lord God, that I need to carry authority over me that protects me. And I pray that you would give those people who raise their hand a real divine sense of hope and expectation that the decisions they make will be godly and wise decisions because they have that authority voice in their life. Thank you, Lord, that we can have a relationship with different people and broken people and people of authority, and through that, we will live a flourishing, abundant life in you. Thank you for this campus. So that, Lord. I thank you for each person here. Just give them a sense of all that you have done through this city campus and all that you will do. That we can have an expectation and a gratitude for your goodness. Build us as a campus to continue to be diverse, to continue to be in a relationship with this broken society around us. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.